Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Welcome to VOC 91.3. I'm Khawa Salman in this edition of Questions and Answers, where we take your SMSs on 47913 and pose it to our esteemed uh, Sheikh in studio with us. So, always willing and welcome to answer your questions. And that is the resident Imam at the Yusufiya Masjid, Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa Alhamdulillah wa barakatuh, Sister How are you doing today? Very well, Alhamdulillah. Shukran. I know Sheikh is is uh, doing all good on that side. Alhamdulillah. So. Just looking inshallah. forward for Ramadan, Ramadan. inshallah. Yes. So uh, we hope for the best for everyone. For everyone, inshallah. inshallah. So we'll get straight into our questions because we have quite a backlog and uh, uh, a big, big thank you and shukran to everybody who has waited and waiting their questions uh, to be answered. Please do continue sending them via SMS line. We have um, our um, our email address as well and our fax line as well you can call 021-442-3500 downstairs during office hours chat to Zarina inshallah and uh, she'll get your questions through to us so inshallah let's kick off with the first one it says assalamu alaikum sheikh my mother passed away and my uncle says he is going to read the will on the 40 nights i asked my uncle for copies of the will he says he is not going to give me any copies what must can i do Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. It seems to me that uh, this particular question uh, is uh, somewhat of a legal nature um, to do with wills, and I suppose that the uncle here is perhaps the uh, executor of the will. Otherwise, he would not have the capacity to take charge and read out the will, etc. Um, and if it is like that, and you are one of the heirs, while there shouldn't be a problem, I mean, uh, for him to give you a copy mm-hmm. of the will, because upon death, I mean, this becomes a public document. It's okay. not really secretive. Um, so. So he should, he should be able to give you a copy. But if he does not want to, may, maybe there's a reason. Maybe they, I don't know what the background is. Maybe there's some contention around certain things. Or maybe he just feels he doesn't want to uh, do it before that particular designated time. Maybe he's going to give you a copy, but on that particular day. So I don't know. We, we should obviously ask all these questions. But, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, if it's really something that is pressing you or that you want a copy of, let's say, before that time, and he he doesn't want to then this is a legal matter that you need to take up mm. you know legally get legal counsel what can you do because he doesn't have the right really to 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 bar you from having a copy especially if it's a heir or a witness or somebody who is somewhat involved with the will or you know somebody that is directly involved or implicated in the will then obviously all those people they have a right to see what the will is all about and so on um, but if he refuses mm. then I suppose you'll have to speak to a lawyer and find out what you can do about that um, and they will probably uh, get some kind of uh, order or whatever from the master's office for him to give copies um, because I don't think as far as I know um, there, there shouldn't be any restriction for him for him to do that. Obviously from, from a Sharia point of view there wouldn't be any restrictions because a will is just a document to say you know who is getting what. So if it is that he's perhaps worried that uh, changes may take place etc. Obviously he's going to give a copy. He's not going to give the original will in any case. Mm. The original should always be protected somewhere where, where nobody can alter it etc. So we always make um, 
certified copies of the will okay. and it is the certified copies normally that you would give to someone to secure that no alterations will take place so that is as far as i can see in terms of this question so inshallah hopefully the the questioner can pursue that particular inshallah particular. okay all the best to that let's um, take a short break and we come back with more of your questions a short segment there and uh, do send your sms's on 47913 back in a moment My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very good evening. Welcome back. This is Q&A. Uh, questions and answers rather with Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss. So uh, our next question is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Three years ago, I married a man, but on the same night he got drunk and also found out that he's a drug addict, con artist and liar. He also stole my bank card and took all my money. And everything he told me was a lie. A week later, I had to run from him because he was violent as well. Can I go? for a fasakh. I've never had contact with him nor seen him since he is from a different province. Shukran. So that's three years ago, Sheikh. Yeah, of course, uh, there seems to be a, a number of legitimate reasons for you to want to go for a fasakh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you will obviously have to go to a judiciary and what they will do is they will uh, obviously first investigate these allegations that you are making to see whether they are actually true and whether they are actually the way that you are describing it to be. Mm. So that is your first point of reference to go there and give you give them your information, give them your story. Mm-hmm. They will try to make contact with your husband. And remember, no matter how long it is, you are still married with him. Mm. Uh, you can't just you know walk away. There, there needs to be a procedure that is followed. So if uh, they, they contact him and they get hold of him, they will obviously interview him as well and hear what his side of the story is. And uh, if these grounds are there the way that you are uh, producing it, then obviously there is, there is room for there is reason for a fasakh. If on the other hand it's not, they will obviously tell you that it's it's not true or you know you need to, to think of something else. Um, but I think what I want to uh, just add here um, uh, of what I read into this question is that um, the difficulty of um, a person getting married to someone to only find out later who that person really is. And I think this is very important uh, advice that we should give to young people. Mm. That if you are getting married to someone, please make sure that you know exactly who you are uh, talking with, who you are dealing with. Because in this world that we are living, obviously the, the issue of the internet and Facebook and all these things, sometimes we may meet people via these media. Mm. But that does not mean we, we know them. It does not know, mean we know their background, etc. Mm. So we must be extra careful when it comes to this kind of thing um, and this this is an example of that this person didn't even know all the ills of this partner so um, uh, that is most likely the advice I would like to, to extract from here and give to our young people that make sure that you know the, the background and it's nothing wrong for you to go and inquire ask out about the person mm. ask you know family and friends and neighbors and colleagues at work etc do your research Islamically, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you are required to do that so that you at least know what you are putting yourself into. Mm. Uh, but just coming back to the question, yes, I think if, if, if it proves to be the way that you say, you certainly have grounds for a fasakh which should be given to you after the necessary procedures and investigations have been, have been concluded. Inshallah. All the best uh, to that lady there. Assalamu alaikum. The next one says, uh, my ex 
doesn't want to leave me alone. I told him he mustn't come here, but he does not listen. What can I do, Sheikh? Yeah, look, I think, again, this question is not for a sheikh or an imam to answer. Um, if he doesn't want to leave you alone, you should get a court interdict mm. against him. I mean, that is a legal thing. Uh, there's just certain things that uh, we as imams and sheikhs can't really help you with. Uh, because it's a, a matter that needs to be taken up by the authority where certain steps must be followed, etc. Mm. So if he is harassing you, he's coming around and he's making a nuisance of himself, mm. you've got all the right then to go to the courts and ask for an interdict against him. Uh, if you feel that it is a threat and it is a bit uh, difficult for you to handle, etc. If on the other hand you don't feel that it's necessary but you can talk to him, mm. you can make him understand, but it, it says here you already told him he doesn't listen, maybe you get someone to tell him then or somebody that he's got more respect for to tell him mm. that you can't be stalking people if the relationship have been broken up you can't be stalking people you should leave people alone in their privacy mm. and you're not allowed to pry you know and to come in and come you know, close to them etc without their permission somebody should should tell him if you think that it's not necessary to go the legal route then that is most likely what you can do in this matter other than that there's there's nothing more for you to do than to follow some legal procedures to actually uh, disallow him from doing uh, this, to, from coming close to you, which he obviously should not be doing um, if there is no justification for it. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, so the next one says, Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh, how long should the ex-husband pay for nafaka after talaq? The marriage lasted about a month. Yeah, this is a, I can give a quick answer, but it's also a bit of detail that I, that I can add. Um, the quick answer would be obviously that the nafaqa normally would be the duration of the idda. Mm. Okay, how long the idda is, that is how long nafaqa should be given. However, there's a bit of detail that I can quickly just run, run, run through with you so that at least we have an idea. Um, first of all, the type of talaq is what we need to establish. Mm. Is it a talaq raj'i? Or is it a talaq ba'in? And what's the difference between the two? Talaq raj'i would be a first or a second revocable divorce, right? Whereby the husband and wife, if the divorce has been issued, still have room to reconcile. During the idda, they can reconcile without having to remarry each other. Okay, so if it is a talaq raj'i, revocable divorce, meaning a first or a second revocable divorce, then in such a case, all forms of nafaqa is incumbent on this woman. In other words, living quarters, uh, food, clothing, whatever she needs during that period of her idda, mm. which is more or less three months, it would be more, more or less three months, um, this will be what will be required to be paid to her. If on the other hand it was a talaq ba'in, let's say it was a final third divorce that had taken place, then in such a case, um, the nafaqa that will be due to her will only be the living quarters. Right, the husband is not um, obliged to supply any other forms of nafaqa. Because hmm. since there is no room for reconciliation now, since there's no way they can make up because the third divorce has been given, it means that she's on her own. Hmm. But he should obviously be compassionate in the sense that she can't throw her out of the house like that. But he must provide for her a living quarters within that three months period of the idda for her to obviously uh, stay there until she finds her feet. Uh, and then there's, of course, one other exception to this rule. If it was a final divorce like that, but the woman is hamil on top of it, right? she's pregnant, then in that case, she will still receive all forms of nafaka, okay? even if it was a final divorce. Because here, the compassion will dictate that if she is pregnant, 
She obviously needs all forms of support and help. Hmm. So he must give her nafaka in terms of living quarters. He must give her food. He must be able to give her clothing. He must help her through the pregnancy, even though he has finally divorced her, hmm. even though there's no room for reconciliation. The, the idea here is to show that compassion to her in that time of need. And obviously, if, if on top of that, she may be, she, she's carrying his own child. So mm. it's his child after all that she is going to bring into this world. And this is in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن كُنَّ أُولَاتِ حَمْلٍ فَأَنْفِقُوا عَلَيْهِنَّ حَتَّى يَضَعْنَ حَمْلَهُنَّ If they are pregnant, then you should spend on them nafaka until they give birth. So we know the idda period will also be that entire period when she is pregnant. That will be her waiting period. So during that waiting period, he is obliged to pay a nafaqa to her, all forms of nafaqa, living quarters, mm. food, clothing, everything, for that entire duration of her being pregnant, even if it was a final talaq ba'in, as we've mentioned. Mm. Then the last point is, let's say the divorce took place, because it says here after a month. So let's say the divorce took place before consummation of marriage, which is... A possibility, although in this case it may be a slight possibility, not a big possibility. But if that uh, is the case where consummation did not take place, then of course there's no nafaka at all due for her because she will not even have an idda for that, for that matter. She won't endure any idda if she has been divorced before consummation of marriage actually took place. So those are some of the details around this. So we must find out what kind of talaq it was. Was it talaq raji'i or ba'in? Is she pregnant or not? The, this will all impact on the type of nafaqa that is due. But the period that was asked about uh, that nafaqa must be given is the short answer is the period is normally the period that she will endure in her iddah. Okay. Shukran, Sheikh. So the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum. Is it permissible if a non-Muslim that has two children and never married then becomes Muslim, is it permissible to get married to a young woman? It's yeah, the question is somewhat vague. Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure what I was trying to get the question out of this yeah, statement. Or what or the person actually, but I can kind of surmise mm -hmm. that the person is a non-Muslim who has two children but not out of a legal marriage yes. to illegitimate children. Yeah. But now he's thinking of becoming Muslim. Muslim yeah. And he wants to know, can he marry someone that was never married before? Can he marry a Muslim woman that was unmarried? That, that, that is so a, a young woman. A young yeah. woman that was never married before. So the answer is yes, it is permissible, of course. Um, firstly, I want to say that once you embrace Islam, and inshallah, may Allah guide all of us, you know, to, to becoming yeah, true Muslims. If Allah guides you to Islam, then it means that you start a new life. Hmm. Everything that you've done in the past will not be looked at. Your slate will be wiped clean. You will start a new page. So you don't have to worry about things that happened in the past. Because he may be thinking, this person may be thinking, what about these illegitimate children? Hmm. Does that maybe affect his status now? The answer is no. It doesn't affect your status. Because the moment you get married, then what happens is Islam is forgiving. It forgives you for, for everything that you've done in the past. You may not have the knowledge at the time. You may not have had the guidance at the time. But now that Islam is there, it is there to help you along. So uh, in this case, yes, you will be able to marry a woman that is um, a non-married, that was never married before. Mm. Or you may marry a woman that was married before, that have children. There's no restrictions on this. But if it is a young woman, of course, that was not married before, then uh, the consent of the, of the guardian is obviously going to be 
crucial. Okay, you will not be able to get married without the consent of the guardian. Uh, the guardian here will be the father or the grandfather if he's not around, mm. or the brothers if he of the if the two of them are not around, etc. So the guardian will have to obviously give his permission and give his blessings mm. for this marriage. And the other thing is, of course, uh, the woman that you are getting married to, she must also be happy with you. You know, you can't uh, just propose and she's not happy. She must obviously like you also mm. as a as a partner, etc. Um, so it, it's it's both sides, the, the the legal guardian as well as the woman. They should obviously because. Because now that you have children also, I'm, I suppose this young woman will have to carefully consider, does mm. she want to get married with somebody that already has children? Because she's never been married before. Does she want to be saddled with that kind of responsibilities right from the start? And these are all things that obviously she's going to take into consideration as well. Yeah, because and it says he has two children. As yeah, well. yeah. So that's going to affect her decision because mm. it's going to have a huge impact on her married life, starting mm. out the marriage with two children. So uh, those are things that she is going to have to obviously going to look at. And the other thing, like I mentioned, was the legal guardian. You will look at your situation. He will size you up. He will see whether, because we, we should never judge people when they become Muslim, etc. Because mm. they can become, you know, wonderful Muslims and, and we should never judge them. Mm. So um, the, the guardian will have to obviously take that decision, you know, make the decision whether he thinks that when you become Muslim, you will be a changed person. You will uh, leave if, if these bad habits that you had, you, you will leave them off, etc. Okay. But just the quick answer here again is, yes, it's permissible. Once you embrace Islam, it would be permissible for you to marry any woman of your choice mm-hmm. as long as the guardian is happy and the woman is happy. Inshallah, that should be uh, no problem at all. Inshallah, all the best uh, to that individual. Let's take a short break and we'll come back with more of your SMSs on 479. Radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you and all those listening to us across the lands and over the seas. A warm welcome to you as well. Please do pose your questions if you have any. Um, if you're listening to us that far, uh, you can use our um, our Facebook page, which is the Voice of the Cape, and you can post your questions on there. And Zarina will uh, pull it down, inshallah, and we'll add it to our list of questions. A big shukran and thank you to all those that are patient um, as we read through your essay. Messes and uh, the backlogged ones as well. The next one reads Assalamu alaikum. I would just like to know if a woman has a miscarriage at nine weeks, five days, bleeds, can she make salah? I'm a bit confused as I've been getting different answers from different people, Kanala. Um, could you please assist? Shukran. The thing that we have to confirm here first is, and, and, and this is a medical issue, we have to ask the medical experts that this blood that is coming down, is it postnatal blood is it the blood that would have come down if it was a normal birth yeah right and if that is the case then you should treat it as postnatal bleeding mm. which means you've got now the period that you have to now um, not make salah would be different to the period that you would not make salah when you just have your monthly menstruation mm. uh, and just to quickly give you that if it uh, the, the least amount of we call it in arabic nifas the least amount of nifas or postnatal bleeding that the human can experience is one moment she may actually be clean very quickly uh, the most nifas that a woman can experience after childbirth is 60 days and sort of the ordinary period is 40 days 
Um, so if it's anywhere in between that and the doctors is saying to you, like, this blood that is coming down is actually the blood uh, that would have come down after birth, so it is actually postnatal blood, it's not your normal menstruation, if the doctor is confirming that, then you should treat it like that. Mm. Okay. If, on the other hand, uh, the doctor is saying, no, it's not because the, the child, and, and this is my, it's sort of my inclination on this, mm. if the doctor is going to tell you, no, but the, there was no, nothing formed yet, Right, because at, at 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 nine weeks, which is just over four or over two over two months, there's not yet a formation really of life. Mm. There may be a, a there may be some shape, there may be some shape, but there's no life really as such. You know, so if the doctor is saying no, this blood that is coming down is is most likely not the blood that is coming down because of uh, postnatal bleeding. Um, mm. It's it's rather menstruation that has now come on. Then in that case, obviously, you will treat it now as your normal period that comes during the, the month, every month, and here it means that you will not make salah for that period, which is, again, the least amount of hayd, which is now the menstrual cycle, mm. is 24 hours, the usual is 6 to 7 days, and the longest that you will ever experience hayd is 15 days. So anything that carries on longer than 15 days, you will make salah, take a ghusl, wash yourself, clean yourself, and then make salah and everything goes back to normal. If it was told to you that this blood is most likely not postnatal bleeding, but it is so. So what I'm saying here is a, a, a doctor's advice is important here because mm. they are better to ascertain where this blood is coming Sorry, from yeah. and what is the nature of this blood. And from there you can obviously then judge whether it is nifas, which is the postnatal one, or whether it is your hayd, your monthly cycle that you normally experience. Next one reads, Assalamu alaikum. I wish to remain anonymous, but is it permissible for me to donate my body for research when I die? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Um, And of course, it's it's looked at as a noble thing because you you want to obviously forward uh, yourself uh, as a a contributor to Mm. research being made, etc. Now, uh, this falls sort of under the ambit of organ donation as well. I mean, can you donate organs, etc.? And it's, it's quite a long issue, mm-hmm. which have been deliberated upon uh, in many conferences over the world uh, over many years, starting from the 70s already, and it's still ongoing. So it's, it's quite extensive, and we can't uh, possibly in a few minutes give you a long answer, uh, or a comprehensive answer rather. Um, but what I want to say is that uh, Islam sort of views the sanctity of our bodies that we were given as something that we don't really own, but it is the ownership of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we can't really make that decision to say that when I die, I would like this to happen with my body, etc., etc. This is not a decision that I can make thinking that I own my body, right? We don't own our bodies. Our bodies is owned by Allah Ta'ala. And we should not never think of it as being uh, under our ownership, you know. Mm. And that is why one of the rules that they lay out very clearly when it comes to organ donation also, you can never accept money for it. Mm. Because you can't buy, you can't sell something that that you don't own, that is not yours, that doesn't belong to you. Okay. Whilst when it comes to research, uh, obviously this is, like I said, something noble. And uh, it may be that in the medical fraternity, it's a necessity to do it. It may Mm. be that there's certain needs for this. And this is something that, again, it's not a decision a decision that can come from you, but it is a decision that should come from the state or from those in charge if they feel that there is a need for certain things. you know. So in other words, it cannot be an open-ended thing like this. And just say whatever research, whether it's important, not important, right? It must be like groundbreaking things. It must be things that are really needed in our the world that we are living in, where the doctors can say that, look, if we do research on this body, then perhaps we will have 
groundbreaking results. And if that is the case, then uh, you know the state can decide whether to actually use that, and in conjunction with the heirs of the person who has died. Okay, they must also give their consent, of course, because the heirs and the family members they are the ones that are the closest to the person who died, so they will also play a role in making that decision. So it comes from the state, and also the decision-making should be coming from the heirs as well. But as for saying that when I die, I would like my heart to go to this one, I would like my kidney to go to someone else, etc., this is not permissible. This kind of wasiyah or this kind of bequest mm. that you make is not permissible because you cannot make a bequest for something that you don't own, once again. You can't be making rules to say, I want this to happen. It's not for you to say. You know, um, so uh, whilst uh, uh, I can understand that uh, for, from a research point of view, it can be quite beneficial, mm. but we must also be careful. People also cut up bodies not for, for, for good research, but just for, you know, small things. Mm. And the main thing about uh, our bodies, like I said, is it's, uh, it's sanctified by Allah Ta'ala. We don't own it and we must treat it as sacred even after death. Okay, and that is why the deen is so strict that the, the body must be buried in a certain way. Salah must be made over the body. It must be washed in a certain way. It must be shrouded in a certain way. Because even if the person dies, that body is still sacred and honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so, so like I said, there's this still a lot of other things that one can mention. It's quite extensive, this topic. But I hope that kind of sort of just give the, the quick guidance as far as, as that question is concerned. In terms of the donation of blood and things that regenerates itself, of course, in your body, uh, that's fine. You can donate that in your lifetime, okay, because it's noble, it's a, it's a virtuous thing to do that to help others, etc. You can also donate any of your organs that you perhaps are not necessarily dependent upon. And here the kidneys comes to mind. You don't always have to live from two kidneys, for example. You can survive with one. So if you wanted to donate in your lifetime a kidney to someone in need, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, it should be not accepting money for, for it and not selling it and, and stuff like that. And, and, and quite uh, strangely, you'll find in the world today that there are actually people that trade in, in organs. Mm. You know, they take organs of black poor, markets, poor communities, yeah. you know, in the black markets, and they take organs of poor communities and sell it off to the rich. And this is absolutely haram, absolutely wrong. We cannot sort of uh, put our sacred lives, you know, um, in this position of just thinking of it materially and gaining money from it etc etc so even in organ donation whilst it is permissible if a person is alive and it's something that you don't depend on it must never be in exchange for money etc etc because it's not something that you can really sell off to someone else okay shukran sheikh so our next question reads assalamu alaikum sheikh advice uh, please, uh, 10 months ago, my husband gave me three talaqs, but up until now, he doesn't say why. I'm not staying with him because he puts me out um, every now and then. He still asks me to come sleep by him, and he also still nafakas me. Is this wrong and what we are doing, Sheikh? Yeah, of course, yeah, I would uh, want to first probe into the three talaqs issue. You know, uh, how was these three talaqs given? Uh, because there is a difference in three talaqs that have been given consecutively in different times mm. and three talaqs that was just uttered like that one in, in one go. Mm. There's a difference between the two. If it was consecutive talaqs in different occasions, then there is unanimous opinion amongst our scholars that obviously that is final. The couple are now finally divorced. 
Okay, and there's no way they can live with each other and make up unless this wife after Idda marries someone else and then gets divorced by that someone else and then come back to the first husband. Mm. Now, if it was that the divorce was given in this way, let's say your husband 10 months ago, he gave you three talaqs, but it wasn't all in one go, but it was already the third one and the second one just before that and the first one before that. So that means you are totally divorced. I mean, there's no way what you are doing then, living together, sleeping by him. So now and then, it's haram. Him giving you nafaka means nothing. Okay, it doesn't make anything legal for that matter. You are haram for each other, if this was the case. If on the other hand, let's say the divorce was given all in one go. Just at one occasion, there was some argument, whatever, and he says, I divorce you three times. Or I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. There is somewhat difference of opinion as far as this question is concerned amongst our scholars. Whilst the vast majority of ulama, and here the four madhabs, Shafi'is, Hanafis, Malikis, Hanbalis, the vast majority of ulama falling under the banner of these madhahib, they say that if three talaqs was given in one sitting, and the intention was to give three talaqs, then that three talaqs is valid. And it falls as three, right? Which means that final, you know, she, there's no way you can make up, there's no way you can reconcile. So the same as the first scenario. On the other hand, there is a very small minority and a small group of scholars um, that have actually said no. Perhaps if a person utters three talaqs in one set, in one sitting, he doesn't intend to give three talaqs. He's just emphasizing the one talaq. Hmm. They, they looked at it in this way. And... Uh, so they say if it was given in one sitting, we can't possibly consider it to be one talaq mm. and not three. So if we are going to consider that view, and this view, by the way, is being considered in many parts of the world, simply because people don't always know what they are doing when they give mm. talaq. They are ignorant. They give three talaqs not knowing what is the implications. So we find that many courts like in Syria, in Egypt and so on, have taken this view to say that if it was given in one sitting, then we won't consider it as three, but we will consider it as one talaq. Mm. Okay? And this is a judicial decision that is made. And if the judiciary makes this decision, then obviously it's valid. Um, so if we are going to give that kind of decision to this question at hand, then the next question would be, let's say we consider it to be one talaq. Mm. Okay? When did you get back to him again? This is the next question. Did you get back to him while you were still under the idda period? Or did you get back to him after that? Mm. If it is within the Idda period, then it means you had the right to reconcile without remarrying. Mm. Okay, if it was one talaq, husband and wife can make up. So if they slept together or they were together, halas, we'll consider that as having made up, as having reconciled. If it is within the Idda period. If on the other hand, this is what you are talking about, he gave you the one talaq, if, you are going to, if we are going to consider this one, mm. but you only get, got back to him, let's say, months after that was the first time when he called you and you got back and you slept together, etc. Then of co course it means that that was haram already then. Hmm. It was haram for you to, to be with him because your idda period had lapsed and there is no way that you can uh, live in that particular way. Be that as it may, uh, this is an intricate question that you need to obviously consult your local imam or family imam on so that you can listen to the details the way that I've given it to you now. Hmm. Okay, And just kind of ascertain in what way was the talaq given at what point after the talaq did you get back to him? Okay, that will all impact. And then the answers can be given whether it is haram. Let's say just a sort of a worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is that he gave you three talaqs. It was all done in different times. Okay. That means what you are doing is absolutely haram. 
Hmm. You can't be sleeping with him when you feel like it. And even if he's giving you nafaka for that matter, that's not going to change anything. The fact is, if the three talaqs was uttered, there is no way that you can be living together like this. You are living in haram. You are committing zina, in fact, which is a, a, a big crime. It is a, a major sin. And so you should really, as quick as possible, I don't think you should delay any any longer than what you have already delayed. You should immediately consult someone to give you kind of the one-on-one advice exactly what your situation is in order to uh, sort of guide you mm. or, or what you ought to be doing at this stage of, of your marriage. Inshallah, shukran, Sheikh. And I think we'd just like to reiterate as well, it's important that um, everyone in the community, all of you, you know, whether you're sending questions or not, or you think you know, it's important to go and, um, you know, attend madrasas, to go and learn the fiqh and, and in detail um, what the rulings of Islam is in every aspect. So um, just an encouragement there to, to the community and to the to the listeners as well to also uh, regularly go and attend your classes at your local masajids. That will definitely also help you and, and uh, answer all those niggling questions. But if you have any, please do send them on 47913. Back in a moment. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Welcome back. Um, and staying with us in this hour between six and seven every Saturday. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm Khawa Salomon. With me is Sheikh Ibrahim Moes answering your questions on 47913. Also via our fax, 021-447-271, our Facebook page, as well as our email. You can also call our office number 021 021- Double four two three five hundred. Let's move straight into the questions. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. What do you do when your wife has left the house? She is now getting her own house, and it's been almost a year now. Sheikh, please advise. Yeah, if she moved out uh, without any legitimate reason, um, and legitimate reason here will mean, for example, she moved out because she feared her life or she was in danger, etc. If she moved out for any reasons that was not uh, legitimate and she didn't have an excuse that is strong enough then obviously she has committed wrong to move out like that okay a woman should not be just moving out if there's problems um, and so when she moves out like this hmm. she is obviously uh, sort of rebelling against the contract of marriage hmm. which means that during this period that she is gone from you you don't have to provide for her you don't have to give her because she's obviously not under your wing hmm. she's obviously not living under your roof uh, be that as it may, she is already now out, she's going to buy her own house, etc. You are still married, so you are asking what should you do now? Obviously, you should decide now oh, what is the way forward for you. You know, Since she's moved out, do you think in your capacity as a husband that you can sort of overlook this particular issue of hers mm. and maybe understand that why she moved out and continue this marriage? Because if you feel that way, then you must obviously forge ahead and continue your marriage and decide whether, whether you want to live where she's moved in now mm. or whether you're going to ask her to rather leave off her own kind of uh, setup and come back to you. That is for you to decide mm. whether you feel that it is something worthy of exploring. If on the other hand, you feel that, look, um, she's, she's done this because it's, it was like breaking point. There's many other things before that, things that built up until that particular point and so she moved out because things have become so bad. And I, there's no way that I can think I will be able to convince her to change those ways. Mm. I mean, the fact that she moved out already, that shows it's quite serious. Mm. So you need to decide, like, 
you know, if, if, if it's not going to work for me to sort of call her back or to tell her what she's doing is wrong or you think that it has gone way beyond repair, mm. then in such a case you will obviously have to make that difficult decision of saying, let's call it quits then, you know. If that is the life that you want, you don't want to be with me, then rather let her go. You know, give her a first talaq. And if she is under idda, you can still decide during the three months whether it's working out in that way or not. Okay. Mm. Ultimately, the decision will be lying with you. You can decide how you want to proceed. And it's all got to do with the seriousness of the matter. And mm. only you know that. We, uh-huh. we uh, reading this question, don't have all those details. You will know how serious it is and why she, she's walked out in the first place. Mm. What were all the issues that led up to that? Is it fixable? Is it repairable or not? Those are all things that you will have good knowledge about, which you need to all look at before you make any decisions, right? So, again, it's a matter of um, sort of uh, being hands-on as far as this issue is concerned and not letting it lie down and just taking it for granted like that, ah, you know, life goes on. No, explore the various avenues Mm. and see because we always, when people come to me as well, we always try to reconcile marriages. Mm. We always try to bring people back, even if it is after a year. That things have been going like this we always try to mend and to repair as far as we can it should never be an imam's duty just to give a talaq mm. that's wrong that's that's utterly wrong an imam should always try to speak to people try to in that's why you'll find even some of the judiciaries some people do f- uh, write questions to us sometimes saying why are they taking so long mm. and yes it can be sometimes that they are dragging it out unnecessarily but it could also sometimes be legitimately where they are trying to fix rather than to break down mm which is very, very important. So in this case, only you, no one else, is able to, to make this call, knowing all the details of your case, so you can proceed whether you want to still live with her in this way and, and, and fix your problems that you have, that is one option that you have, or whether you want to move on with your life thinking that this is a point of no return for you, that is up to you. Perhaps sometimes that is a better decision, mm. sort of start over, you know, start afresh. Maybe Allah knows best, it can be a better decision for you, but you alone can make that call, inshallah. Inshallah, all the best to that couple. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Um, a girl is not a Muslim, the boy is. They're both on drugs and have, have a beautiful child together. They want to get married, but both doesn't work. Please advise, Sheikh. Yeah, the, the first issue here will be obviously uh, that the girl is a non-Muslim girl, mm. right? And the boy is a Muslim. So besides now all the other issues, let's first look at this one issue. Okay. Uh, she obviously should revert to Islam first. Mm. You should convince her to, to revert to Islam. And uh, once she is Muslim, then we can look at the next issue. Because she should not be marrying someone that is non-Muslim like that. Mm. Because they already have a number of issues uh, on their hands. Mm. And you don't want another issue that is going to cause further uh, difficulties. You know, differences of ideologies, differences of thinking, and etc. That is just going to ag- aggravate everything. So if at all they are going to get married, the first thing is that they should obviously convince this girl to, to embrace Islam, inshallah. And she shouldn't be doing it to get married. Mm. You know, she should be told what Islam is about. She should be convinced about it, etc. And once she embraces Islam, then we can now look at whether it is viable for them to get married or not. Okay, because now uh, what's what's sad about this is there's a child involved. Mm. I imagine they're both on drugs. I mean, what kind of home are they going to create for this child? Are they going to be able to sustain a home for this child while both of them are taking drugs? Mm. In my opinion, humble opinion, I don't think so. Mm. Not while they are taking drugs. 
So I would say they should rather not worry with marriage straight away, okay? And they should rather be focusing on this problem that they have, the drug problem. Get counseling, get your family involved, get people involved around you that can assist in this problem. Because it's, 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 it doesn't make sense that when you already have such a big issue in your life that you want to add the responsibilities mm. and things now. Okay. And we know that people that are on drugs, they've got demands, you know, they, 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 they've got habits to feed. Mm. So how, how are they going to, let's say, مثلاً, may Allah protect, you know, but imagine they live in their home and now they're going to take money of the food that must go to the child, child or yeah. milk for the child to buy drugs. Mm. And the child is going to suffer. And Islam cannot condone that kind of thing. You know, the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, is very clear. لا ضرر ولا ضرار. We should never harm anyone and we should never uh, return harm to someone that harms us. Mm. This is very important. Now, this will lead to that if we obviously don't uh, take uh, charge of it uh, right at the beginning. So my advice would be that she should uh, revert to Islam first. Mm -hmm. They should not straight away think about marriage. But they should rather think about their problem that they have, mm -hmm. the drugs. And in the meantime, they should get someone to look after their child. And they should obviously also be part of that in a small way. Whilst they are working on the, on the, on the, on the habits that they are busy trying to get rid of. And then finally, the issue of not working. Yes, that is also going to impact if they are not working and they are taking drugs. Mm. And they want to get married. It's, it doesn't make sense to throw all of this in one pot. You know, you, you're not going to have a, a nice meal <laughs> that is going to be cooked if you throw all these kinds of ingredients in one mm. pot. You're going to get something that is completely upside down. So we need to take things into perspective. We need to be realistic about things. Okay. I think that is what my final advice would be. Please be realistic in what you're going to do. Mm. And don't just think of yourselves. You know, Don't be selfish in just thinking, but I want to get married. Because this is often what, what the youngsters tell us. You know? <laughs> but they, we love each other. So we want to get married. Mm. What's the point? You love each other and to get married, but what kind of marriage are you going to create? What kind of home are you going to create? Mm. Especially for this beautiful child that you have brought into this world. So I think you should seriously be thinking how you can first transform your lives. Uh, and once you are on that path of at least trying to, to leave off the bad habit, and then you can now think of getting married and building a family, etc., etc., mm. without putting anybody in danger, without, a, without putting anybody in harm's way. Mm. You know, you can create a beautiful family if all the ingredients are there to sustain uh, such a marriage. We make dua for, the, for these people. It's, it's really a bala in our communities. Yeah. It's a real difficulty. We are all affected by it in one mm. way or the other. We either have family or neighbors or friends that we know about that are taking drugs and how it is affecting their lives. And uh, we pray, you know, that uh, we that our families and, 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 and parents, they should remain strong and they should remain supportive and they should remain in a way where they can always help, mm. but in a constructive way, help in a way that is that is real, you know, mm. and never think that it's not something that's affecting me. It's affecting everyone. Mm. Some, somewhere along the line, it's, it's affecting you. So uh, we pray that, you know, Allah Ta'ala change this condition of our communities, especially as far as the drugs are concerned. And uh, Allah Ta'ala gives us a way out of this bala that our young people are currently facing.
May they all be guided and, and like she said, for everybody. It's unfortunate that it, this has become a, a common problem in our community. But uh, let's continue with uh, your SMSs after the short break. Stay with us. Muslims agents. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good evening to you. Welcome back. Um, we take your last few questions in this segment as we end off our question and answer session. Um, let's inshallah get through our questions. Assalamualaikum. Sheikh, my husband goes to fetch his kids weekends um, by his ex. They sit and keep conversations. He brings food uh, from her and wants me to make it. He eats it, but I don't want to make it and eat it. Um, He gets angry. I don't know what to do, Sheikh. Yeah, um, I think we should we should realize, you know, that it's always going to be an awkward situation with exes and other children and so on. Mm-hmm. So when a person gets married to someone who was married before and he has kids and the ex is around somewhere, uh, one should at all times try to obviously then, uh, you know, take into consideration these various situations that there is going to be some awkwardness or maybe arrangements will have to be made in a certain way. He will have to still go there to the house mm. where his ex is. So I think when you get married to someone in the first place, you should know these things. Mm. Okay. So the question that I want to ask you here is that you're saying that your husband goes there, go fetch the kids and she gives him food and he brings it back and all that. Um, I'm just going to ask this question, but I'm not going to accuse you of anything. But I want to know, aren't you perhaps being a little bit oversensitive, you know, on on these issues? Mm. Isn't it maybe that you are reading into issues which is not there? Maybe he goes there and so what if she gives him some food, you know, gives him some things with the kids along and so on, you know. Um, And the question, other question is, does he do it all the time or is it like once off or does he make a habit of doing it? Mm. Uh, So so does he really do it to spite you Mm. or is it just something that, that just happens? And so you feel jealous about it. Mm. And these are, I think, honest questions you must ask yourself. Mm. And if it is that, look, you, you, you now come to realize that it's not really something to be worried about. It's just the jealousy within you. Mm. You don't like him to be there and you don't like him to eat there, etc. Then you must obviously uh, get a way of kind of dealing with that. You know, mm. how are you going to deal with that? Because like I say, that situation will always be there. Mm. He's always going to go there. They always offer him some tea or biscuits or some food. So is he going to have to refuse it all the time? You need to sort of uh, learn how to deal with that. Mm. If on the other hand, let's say it's not just something that is small or that, it's something that he's doing deliberately, you know, it's not once in a while, he does it all the time and he overstays his visits and he makes a habit of making you feel jealous or he makes a habit of telling you all the details, although it is not necessary. Mm. So you can pick up, you know, if it is like that, then I think respectfully you need to speak to him and say, look, I don't appreciate this kind of thing. Mm. Because you're going to the ex, fetching the kids, and maybe sitting there for a while, coming back, it's fine. But you don't have to sort of make me feel bad about it Mm. or make me feel jealous about it. And be honest with yourself when you are answering these questions. You know, so I'm, saying, I'm not accusing you. You may be in, completely in your right in the way that you are feeling. You mm. may be completely overstepping his boundary. On the other hand, he may not be doing that. He may just go going there innocently, just fetching the kids. And yes, they offering offer him something to eat mm. and maybe send for you also. But it's unprepared, and so you can decide if you don't want to make it, don't make it. You know, but don't make an issue then. You know, don't don't let your uh, sensitivities or your emotions come and dictate to you how you are going to now handle the situation. Sometimes emotions can be destructive. You know, emotions can be very dangerous. It it uh, it sort of leads you how to think and how to believe and how to interact, which can be a bit of a problem. So you need to sort of ask these questions, 
And inshallah, if you are honest enough, you will come to a solution to this. And speak to your husband respectfully about it. Tell him how you feel exactly. You've got the right to do that. You've got the right to obviously express your opinion. Mm. And he should obviously give you that chance to do that and not uh, sort of uh, just ignore your, 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 your side of things. So do that if you feel that there is a need for it. Mm. But if you don't feel it's a need, it's just you being oversensitive, then you know how to fix that yourself from your own self how to work on that and to get rid of those feelings etc and I think the best way is just to tell yourself look this is a situation that I chose because I got married and I had children mm. and unfortunately that is how it is and so trust you I'm, I trust my husband you know if he goes there I've got all the trust that he doesn't he won't be doing something which is maybe unnecessary etc and make yourself believe this kind of thing mm. for the sake of the marriage and for the sake of being uh, uh, happy within your own in your own situation inshallah all the best to that family shukran so much uh, for joining us and staying with us in this edition of questions and answers we do apologize that we didn't get through everybody's questions but inshallah we will make do in next week's show. So join us again next week, same time, same place, on questions and answers with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst. And Sheikh, shukran so much to Sheikh. And all the best and salama travel home, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan to you also, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners. May they all be under the protection of Allah until we meet again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And from myself, Hawa Salman, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a good evening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.